you to grab it and we're going to be in Mark's gospel Mark chapter number nine and if you don't have a Bible there should be a Bible around you maybe in the seat back in front of you I want to encourage you to grab that so everyone can be following along this morning Mark chapter number nine is where we're going to be and a couple of weeks ago we started a brand new series of messages that we are calling I have my doubts and we've been talking about this subject of doubt and uncertainty and how we can find clarity in a time of confusion. And we've talked about Thomas. We talked last week about John, the cousin of Jesus. And today we're going to look to Mark chapter number 9. And we are going to see a father who struggled with doubt. And we're going to look starting in verse number 14. And if you are ready, would you say ready? If you're ready, you can drop that word in the comments online today. Ready? And uh, we're going to jump right in here. And uh, I'm going to ask... Uh, that you would help me out a little bit this morning and participate with me as I preach. Would that be okay today? We're going we're gonna to work through this together. And I believe that there is great purpose and reason for us to be here today. And uh, we are going to be in Mark chapter 9, verse number 14. And the Bible says this. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway, everybody say straightway. straightway. Right away. All the people. When they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to salute, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, "What question ye with them?" And one of the multitude answered and said, "Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. He, he was uh, possessed with a demon that rendered him unable to speak." Verse eighteen says, "And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. He, he becomes rigid and unable to move." And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. If you have a habit of underlining in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline that phrase. They, they couldn't do it. They could not. And he answered and said, and he answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer with you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked the father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Anybody believe that this morning? And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. What an honest statement. I believe, but I'm struggling with that belief part. I believe, but help me with mine unbelief. Today I want to speak to this subject. When trying isn't enough. When trying isn't enough. Let's have a word of prayer together. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. 
God, thank you for this opportunity to come together and on a Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, uh, to celebrate uh, the resurrected King. God, thank you that we can come together and worship you and uh, study your word together. I pray that there would be great, uh, a great benefit uh, from us being here together. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, give me the words to say. God, I pray that all of us can uh, uh, have a better understanding of this text as we leave this place and, and uh, be challenged and edified uh, together. And uh, God, I pray that you would be with this service and the service to come. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Several years ago, we decided that we were going to sign up my oldest daughter, Liv, to play basketball. And uh, she had never played basketball before, especially never organized basketball before. But I thought, hey, no problem. I can kind of show her the ropes. I can kind of teach her how to play basketball. I know a thing or two. You know, I'm going to teach her, and uh, pretty soon she's going to rise to stardom. This is going to be no problem at all. And so I was excited about getting Liv uh, into basketball and signing her up for this basketball league. And we showed up to the first practice, and I started watching Liv playing, and I noticed that she struggled to uh, get the ball up to to the hoop, and uh, she wasn't strong enough to get the ball all the way up to the hoop, and I'm, I'm not even saying that she couldn't get it to the rim, like she couldn't even get it to the net, like it was a, it was a far uh, gap there that she uh, was struggling with, and so I said, okay, no problem, we're going to work on this, so we went home. And I set up the hoop, and I said, all right, Liv, here we go. I'm going to teach you some form, and got to keep your back straight, get your legs into it a little bit, and throw that ball up there. She, she threw that ball as hard as she could and didn't even come close to the net, like, like just still very far away. She was struggling to get the ball high enough. And so I was trying everything, trying every trick in the book. Eventually, I said, all right, Liv, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to teach you something called the granny shot. How many of you are familiar with the granny shot, right? The granny shot, that old school, just kind of throw it underneath. And I thought, for sure, she's going to be able to get the ball to the hoop with the granny shot, right? Never fails. Sure enough, she she got it up there, and it was still short, and she couldn't uh, get it uh, high enough, and she was struggling with her strength to get the ball high enough, and I was kind of getting frustrated and discouraged, like, man, we got to fix this problem, right? And, uh, and so I, I, I kind of was at a loss for words, and I found myself just saying, Liv, try harder. <laughs> like, try ho- more legs, more strength, just try harder. And, and I realized after a couple of days of that that she was trying her hardest, and uh, she was trying her hardest and trying but trying wasn't enough. You know, there's nothing more exasperating in life when you are trying your hardest at something to no avail, right? When you are, when you are putting forth a great effort and you are trying and trying, but it's just not working. A couple of months ago, we were working on some projects here at the church and, and Daniel and I, we were trying to hang some lights and uh, we were trying to, uh, in the ceiling, find some studs in the ceiling, but we couldn't, we couldn't find the studs in the ceiling. And so, uh, you know, we had a stud finder. It wasn't working. We measured 16 inches apart. It wasn't working. We measured 24 inches. Nothing was working. And so we decided, let's just start drilling and see if we can get lucky and find a stud. And so we started just drilling holes and didn't find it, drilling holes, didn't find it. And uh, uh, I think I have a picture this morning of, of our, all of our attempts. I think we have it. Uh, in case you can't see, it took us 17 tries to finally uh, find a stud. 17 attempts because if you, if at first you don't succeed, what do you do? You try, try again, right? And uh, there's something admirable about uh, trying your hardest and not giving up. Confucius famously said, our greatest glory is not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall, right? There's something inspirational about that. Even Proverbs says that a just man is going to fall seven times, but what does he do? He rises up again. And I think that uh, we should put forth a gospel-driven effort in life. I think that uh, we have to uh, be able to be motivated by the gospel to do more for the cause of Christ. But I think so often in life we struggle spiritually because we are so busy trying in our own strength. 
We are trying to please people. We are trying to hold it all together. We're trying to manage the finances. We're trying to be a good husband, a good spouse. We're trying to be uh, good parents, and we're trying to defeat temptation. And we're so busy trying and trying, but what do we do when trying isn't enough? What do we do when we're trying, but it just seems like every time we fall short? That can be exasperating. That can be frustrating. When we're giving it our best and we're trying, but we're falling short. And we come to Mark chapter number 9, and what we find is nine of Jesus' disciples were down in the valley, and they were trying to cast out a demon from a boy and his father. They were trying to help him, but they couldn't do it. The Bible says they could not. They were trying, and they failed. They were trying, and they failed. And not only that, the Bible says that the father in front of everyone makes their failure public, and he says in front of Jesus and all the scribes, he says, they couldn't do it. They tried, and they failed. And I just want to give some encouragement to somebody today who is just weary and well-doing. And you are discouraged because you are trying to hold it all together. And you're trying to do the right thing. But you are, you are weary and you're trying. Here's some good news. You can mark it down. The gospel has never been about trying. It's always been about trusting. The gospel has always been about trusting in one who is greater. And trusting in one who is stronger. And so we can keep trying in our own strength. Or we can trust in the one who is greater. How many of you believe today that Jesus is greater? And that he is our strong foundation and that he is our cornerstone. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. We've got to trust and we've got to step out by faith. Now we should still put forth an effort in life, right? I mean, Paul said in Corinthians, he said, I labor more abundantly than they all. Paul's like, not to brag a little bit, but I work harder than anybody. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. But then he says, yet not I. It was the grace of God that was with me. It was the grace of God that was at work within me. And so life is really not about how hard we can try or how great we can be. It's about the spirit of God and the grace of God at work within us. And so we come to Mark's gospel and we find the disciples, they are trying, they're struggling, and uh, uh, they're struggling to uh, do uh, this uh, task that was before them. And Mark chapter number nine is a really interesting chapter. And the first 13 verses of Mark chapter number nine introduce us to what is called the transfiguration. Everybody say the transfiguration. And so Jesus goes up with Peter, James, and John to Mount Hermon, and they're up there, and Jesus transfigures before him. He, he reveals his glory before them. His, his clothes turn dazzling white, and, and uh, this would have been an amazing scene where Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in this state, and, and then uh, Moses and Elijah come down, and now they're having this conversation with Jesus up on Mount Hermon, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, and the Father speaks to them, and it's this powerful, amazing moment. In fact, it's so powerful that Peter, he, he just wants to stay up there. Uh, Peter's like, this is amazing, and uh, I don't even want to go back down. In verse number five, if you have a Bible in front of you today, I want to encourage you to grab it. And in verse number five, Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. And so Peter's like, man, I don't even want to go down. I just want to stay up here. Let's make these tabernacles. And and of course, Jesus said, no, we've got to go back down because Jesus knew that there was still a mission to be accomplished. He knew that ultimately he still needed to go to the cross. And see, uh, uh, so often we can be like Peter when we are experiencing a season of blessing. Uh, we want to just kind of enjoy it and keep it to ourselves. And we want to stay in that moment. But God does not bring us to the mountaintop so that we can stay there. He brings us to the mountaintop so that we can minister at a greater level down in the valley. He brings us to a mountaintop so that we can serve other people and love other people and share the good news of the gospel with other people when they are hurting. And so uh, they're up. They experience, this mount, uh, they experience this transfiguration there on Mount Hermon. They come back down into the valley. And immediately, 
Jesus and Peter, James, and John, they are confronted with this crisis of faith. They are confronted with this terrible situation where there is a demon-possessed boy. And there's this great contrast between what happened on the mountain and what happened in the valley. In fact, uh, the famous Italian Renaissance painter, Raphael, his last painting was called The Transfiguration. I think we have a picture this morning. And uh, uh, this is his painting. And he shows this juxtaposition between what happens on the mountain in the valley and, and Jesus being transfigured before them. And, and up on the mountain, the kingdom of God was on display. But down in the valley, the kingdom of Satan was on display. On the mountain, there was a son that was glorified. In the valley, a son was demonized. And so we see this contrast. On the mountain, there is glory. In the valley, there is agony. And we see that Jesus comes from this mountaintop experience down into the valley where there are uh, uh, people that are hurting and people that are broken. And so he comes to them, and we pick up the story right in verse number 14. We're going to have to do a little bit of investigative work, and we're going to have to build the context. Everybody with me this morning? Verse number 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them. And the scribes questioning with them. So Jesus comes down from the mountain and he sees that his disciples that were left down there, the other nine, they were arguing with the scribes. And so Jesus comes down and straightway all the people, verse 15, when they beheld him were greatly amazed and they run to him and saluted him. So all the people, they, they, they saw Jesus and they ran toward Jesus, verse 16. And he asked the scribes, everybody say the scribes. He asked the scribes, what question ye with them? He said, what are you guys arguing about? Jesus comes into the scene, he looks at the scribes and he says, what are you guys talking about? And then it's interesting, the scribes don't answer him. In verse 17, it says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And so the scribes don't even answer. Maybe they weren't as confident now that Jesus was there. They were confident arguing with the disciples. Then Jesus shows up, and now they're not saying anything. The father, he steps up, and he says, he says, Master, I have a son that is possessed with this spirit. Verse 18, And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to the disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And so this father, he steps up and he says, Jesus, we're arguing, we're talking about my son who is possessed with the spirit. And the disciples, they tried, but they failed. They tried, and they tried. In fact, Luke's gospel says that the father begged the disciples to do it. They tried, and they tried, but they failed. And so what do we do when trying isn't enough? And so today as we look to this passage and as we uh, unpack these verses, I want to give us four principles that can help us move from trying to trusting. Everybody with me today? Uh, Let's look at these principles that can help us move from trying to trusting. Number one is this. Past victories do not guarantee present success. Past victories, they don't guarantee present success. Now, it's interesting that the disciples had this inability to uh, cast out this demon. And the reason why this was interesting is because back just a couple of chapters ago in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 6, verse number 7, the Bible says, And he called unto him the twelve, and he began to send them forth two by two, and gave them power. Everybody say power. Power. Leave it in the online chat today. Power. He, He gave unto them power over unclean spirits. So Jesus gave the disciples the ability to cast out these unclean spirits. He gave them the power and the authority to be able to do this. And in fact, just a couple of verses later in Mark chapter 6, verse 13, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick, and they healed them. And so by the time we come to Mark chapter number 9 with this boy that was possessed with a demon, this wasn't the disciples' first rodeo. This wasn't their first time to experience something like this. They had been there before. They had cast out many demons before, but this time they couldn't do it. Because a past success does not guarantee a present victory. 
The disciples were like, man, they're frustrated. Why isn't this working? They, they had done this before. In fact, they kind of were impressed with themselves before. Uh, they thought this is pretty awesome that we can do this. In Luke's gospel, in Luke 10, verse number 17, it says this. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. They're like, this is awesome. Like, like, like Jesus, they are subject unto us. Like, we're doing pretty good. They were pretty impressed with themselves. And Jesus had to correct them a few verses later. And he said this in, in verse number 20 of Luke 10, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. This is not something that you should rejoice about. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He says, hey, don't get cocky. Hey, this isn't all about you. Don't become impressed with yourself. Hey, if you're going to rejoice in anything, just rejoice that your name is registered in heaven. Just rejoice in the fact that you have a home in heaven and that you can have a relationship with me. That's something that we ought to rejoice about. They were so consumed with their own ability that they neglected to draw on divine power. See, so often our spiritual struggle is not because of a past failure. It's because of a past success. We do well and we say, man, I did this before. I've done this before. I've defeated temptation. I've been in church. I grew up in Sunday school. I've been to small group. I, 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 I've done this before. I, I know the verses that we should go to. I know the answers if I'm struggling. I have those verses. And the Bible says, hey, uh, we ought to be careful in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So that moment that we're starting to be confident in self, hey, that's the moment that we ought to take a step back and be careful that we don't fall. See, great victory often leads to great uh, vulnerability. So often we are vulnerable after a great victory. And here's the disciples. They had done this before, but this time it wasn't working. Back in 2011, uh, BlackBerry uh, was kind of on top of their game. They sold 50 million phones in 2011. How many of you ever had a BlackBerry before? All right. BlackBerry back then was like, that was legit, right? If you had a BlackBerry phone, that was awesome. You were like a professional, right? And then iPhone came out. How many of you uh, bought the first ever iPhone? I think it was 2007, bought the very nice first ever iPhone. Well, when iPhone came out, BlackBerry didn't view iPhone as competition. They thought this was a different market. They're going after something else. We're in the professional business world. And so they uh, didn't view that as a competition. And so they thought, you know, we're not going to kind of copy or, uh, copy or emulate them. We're not going to improve what we're doing. They kind of stuck to that old classic finger, uh, fingerboard, the keyboard there. And, and so they kind of just stuck to it. And in September 2018, just a couple of years ago, BlackBerry ceased making all phones. They stopped. They just kind of completely shut it down. And see, they were stuck with an old mindset. They, they, they thought that a past victory was going to guarantee a present success. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. The disciples, they were so confused as to why this wasn't working, and they were so frustrated because they had done it before. And so Jesus comes in in verse 19 and says this. And he answered and he said, O faithless generation. Everybody say Faithless. They were lacking faith. Then he says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? It kind of sounds like Jesus saying, you guys are getting on my nerves right now, right? He's like, how long am I going to be here? How long am I going to have to put up with this? Uh, bring him unto me. Jesus says, oh, faithless generation. I believe Jesus was, when he says generation, he's, he's talking not just to the Father, not just to the disciples, but to the, to the scribes, to everyone that was there that day. He said, he said, you are lacking faith. This is not a matter of, uh, of ability. It's a matter of faith. And think about this. The disciples for two years, they had been with Jesus. They had seen Jesus perform miracles. They had seen Jesus heal the sick. They had seen Jesus do some amazing things. They, they, they could see it all firsthand. They didn't have to walk by faith. They could walk by sight. They could see it all. But Jesus was saying, hey, there's coming a time when you will no longer be able to walk by sight. You must learn to walk by faith. You must learn to believe and put your faith in me. And so the disciples 
They're frustrated because this past victory didn't guarantee a present success. And here's the second thought today, number two. Uh, I want you to see that the hurt of man captivates the heart of Jesus. Everybody with me so far? The hurt of man captivates the heart of Jesus. Notice verse number 20. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And so as this boy comes and makes his way to Jesus with the father, uh, this demon uh, puts him in this violent convulsion where he is now foaming at the mouth. And I can only imagine the pain of the father in that moment. As a father, I do not want to see my kids in pain. Now, uh, you know, my son Luke, if he falls down, I want him to be tough, and so I'm not going to coddle him, right? Uh, I'm going to say, get up and be tough, and I want him to kind of, you know, be strong in that. But as a father, it never feels good to see your children in pain. You can imagine what this father was carrying for years as his son was being tormented by this demon. That he would, he would, uh, the demon would cast him into fires, the Bible says, put him into water so he would be drowned. While, while the other dads were just trying to teach their son a trade, this dad was just trying to keep his son alive. Th- this, was, this was a heartache. There, there, was, there was great pain that was involved in this situation. There was great hurt. that was. In, in fact, in verse number 18, every single verb that the father uses is in the present tense. And what that means is that this was an ongoing, horrible situation. It just kept on happening, kept on happening. You know, sometimes our pain... Is temporary. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, we can have a bad week. How many of you uh, have ever had a bad week, right? Bad, bad day, right? We can have bad seasons, but then other times our pain is more chronic in nature in that um, it's years of struggle. It's years of battling a health issue. It's years of battling abuse. It's years of uh, carrying something that no one else knows about. And that kind of struggle, that kind of difficulty can drive us to despair, But Paul gives us a different perspective in the book of Romans. In Romans 5, verse number 3, he says this, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Isn't that such a unique statement? We're going to glory in our pain? We're going to find joy in our tribulations? He says, how can we do this? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. How can a trial and a difficulty and a struggle actually lead us to hope? And it's because every trial is an opportunity to get closer to Jesus. And every obstacle is an opportunity for us to re-engage in our relationship with God. And this boy was hurting. This father was hurting. But they went to the right source. They said, hey, let's bring him to Jesus. And let's believe that Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. And for those of you that are hurting this morning, I want to encourage you to take that burden straight to Jesus. And bring that burden straight to Jesus. Because he alone is the one that can save and heal and provide hope in your situation. And so they bring the child to Jesus. And then I love what happens in verse number 21. I believe what happens in verse number 21 is so powerful. Do you want to see it? Anybody else want to see it? Online, I hope you're ready. Verse number 21, it says this, and he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? Jesus looks at the father. He says, how long has this been happening? Why does Jesus ask this? First of all, we know that Jesus is all-knowing. The Bible says in Psalms that great is our Lord, his understanding is infinite. We know that Jesus is all-knowing. He already knew the answer. Uh, Furthermore, what did it matter? Whether it was five months or five years, this was a terrible situation. Was there some sort of statute of limitations on when Jesus could do the miraculous? Why did Jesus say, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the question, Because he wanted to hear the father's pain. He wanted to hear the father's story. 
He wanted to hear the Father's hurt. Why? Because the hurt of man captivates the heart of Jesus. He, he longs to hear from us. He wants to know about our struggles. He wants to know about our scars. He wants to know what we're going through because he loves us. And we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Hey, we have a sympathetic high priest. Can I encourage you today? He knows all about your story. He knows all about your struggle. He knows all about your scars. And he longs to hear from you. And he longs to hear from his children. And so we can bring every burden to the Lord. He longs to hear from us. He says, how long has this been going? Can I tell you that Jesus is interested in your pain? You know when no one else is interested in your pain and you're hurting, but you don't want to bring it up because you don't want people to think you're nagging or you're whining, but you're carrying something in the back of your mind. Hey, Jesus cares. Hey, we have a compassionate God. He is full of compassion. He longs to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. He cares about the details of your story that no one else cares about. He longs to hear from you. Jesus says, how long has this been happening? Why? Because he is a compassionate God. Because he is a loving God. Because he is love. He says, how long has this been happening? The Bible says in Psalm 34, verse 17, the righteous cry in the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Aren't you thankful today that he longs to hear from us, he wants to hear from us, and he promises to answer our prayers? Psalm 86, 15, but thou, O Lord, art a God Full of compassion. Everybody say full. He's full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and in truth. And I just want you to know that the hurt of man captivates the heart of Jesus. He longs to hear from us. This leads us to our third principle today. Number three is this. Faith is not about perfection. Faith is about progression. Faith is not about perfection. It's about progression. You still with me today? Notice verse 21. So the end of verse number 21, he says, of a child. And so the father says, this has been happening. To answer your question, Jesus, this has been happening for a long time, ever since he's a child. And then he says in verse number 22, and oftentimes it cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst, everybody say if. He says if, Jesus, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. This father says, Jesus, if, if. You know, a lot of times our struggle is we have a misplaced if. Uh, This father says, if, uh, Jesus, if you can do anything. I love Jesus' response. He says, what do you mean if? (laughs) He says, if, if I can do something. He says, if you can believe. It's not a matter of my ability, Jesus says. It's a matter of your belief. He says, what do you mean, if? He says, if you can believe, all things are possible. And so often we have a misplaced if. We think, man, if God could just give me this job, and if I could just get into this house, and if I could just win in this relationship, and if I can just do this. And when it comes to following Jesus, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of faith. Do we believe that God will provide? Do we believe that God will step in and show himself strong on our behalf? And so uh, uh, we see Jesus says, what do you mean, if? Then verse number 24, and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, You can see he's at the end of his rope. He's desperate. And he says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. He had his doubts. He says, help me in spite of me. He says, I believe, but his belief was mixed with doubt. See, his faith, it wasn't perfect, but it was progressing. His faith might have been little, but it wasn't lifeless. 
In fact, one of the most famous verses in all the New Testament is based out of this story in Matthew's accounting of this, uh, of this story in Matthew's gospel. It says in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus uses this moment to teach this truth in Matthew 17 verse 20. And Jesus said unto them, same story. Everybody tracking with me? Same story. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have the faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. He says, hey, you just need some mustard seed faith. You just need a little bit uh, of faith. Uh, now, there's all different kinds of seeds today. Um, last year, my daughter in school, she did a seed project. I think I brought a picture, and she was excited about this. She had like an orange seed, a sunflower seed, an apple seed, uh, different kinds of seeds, and uh, she was working on this project. You know, a mustard seed is much smaller than even that. A mustard seed, I think we have a picture. A mustard seed is about the size of a tip of a pen. It's small. And I believe what Jesus is saying is it's not so much the size of our faith as it is the substance of our faith. See, a seed may seem small and insignificant. The seed might be small, but I want you to know the life inside of it is very big. And see, it might seem like a small thing. It might seem like uh, this doesn't really uh, matter. It's insignificant. And I just want to encourage you today, if you are struggling to hang on and you are going through a difficult season, hey, little is much when God is in it. Don't give up on God. Keep on stepping out. Keep on believing. It's not about being perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about progression. There was life in the faith. The Bible says in Luke 17, verse number five, the disciples, the apostles, they learned from this and they said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And that ought to be the prayer and the desire of all of our hearts that we would step up, that we would increase our faith. See, our faith doesn't have to be perfect and polished. It just has to be alive. Second Peter 1, 5 says, and beside this, giving all diligence, add, everybody say add, add to your faith virtue and a virtue knowledge. And he goes on. But the point is, hey, we are to add to our faith and to increase our faith and build upon our faith. And so we see this problem of unbelief, but I want you to see the power of Jesus. Uh, notice it in verse number 25. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. I love that, that phrase and that line. And enter no more into him. There's other places in the Gospels where Jesus alluded to the fact that a demon might come out, but six more might go back in. And so Jesus said, in this boy's circumstance, he said, and do not go back in. It's as if he puts a no trespassing sign right on his soul and says, you are not allowed to go back in. Hey, whatever problem that you are facing today, can I tell you that God is greater? And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And what we see is they had this, this problem, but Jesus' power and God's power is on display. Verse number 26, it says, and the spirit uh, cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was uh, as one dead in so much as uh, that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. Anybody thankful today that he has the power over demons? He has the power over the prince of this world. He has the power to bring the dead to life again. Hey, when you are going through a major problem, just remember that we worship the same God that opened up the Red Sea. Hey, we worship the same God that stood in the fire with the three Hebrew children. Hey, we worship the same God that brought fire down on Mount Carmel. Hey, we worship a powerful God and there is nothing too hard for him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so often our focus is on the size of our problems rather than the size of our God. Jesus steps in. He shows his power strong in this scene. And this leads us to our last thought today, number four. Fourthly and finally today, I want you to see that great power is the result of great surrender. 
Great power is the result of great surrender. Now, as we close today, I want you to see verse number 28. Do you have a few more minutes in you today? Verse 28. And when he was coming to the house, so they were there in Caesarea Philippi, and they went into a house. We don't know which house they went into, but they went inside. They got away from the crowd. And his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? The disciples, they had this introspection. They came back in and they looked at Jesus and said, we tried, but we failed. We, we tried to cast out the Why couldn't we do it? They look within. I think that's good uh, for us and healthy for us to take a look within and say, where am I lacking in my faith? Where am I trying, but I'm not trusting? Where is my faith weak and insufficient? The disciples said, Jesus, we tried, but it didn't work. Why? They looked within. You know, the Bible says, let a man examine himself. That we're to look within and see, where am I struggling? Where, where is my faith absent? To which Jesus responds, and he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. He says, this kind of spiritual victory can only come by total surrender and dependence on me through prayer and fasting. See, the disciples, they did believe. They did. But they believed that they could do it. They believed that they could muster up enough strength to do it on their own. See, they had belief, but they had a misplaced belief. They started depending on self rather than on the power of God. They thought that they could do it. They, they tried, but they failed. You know, there's this story in Acts chapter 19 where uh, these fraudulent uh, Jews, they went forth and they were trying to cast out a demon. They saw what Paul and the disciples were doing. And so they thought, man, we can do this too. And we can make a little bit of money off of this. And so uh, the Bible says in Acts 19 verse 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus. They said, man, we heard Paul say Jesus, and maybe we can just say Jesus too. And that we'll be able to do this as well. We adjure, uh, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And so we see that these, these people had a fraudulent faith. They, they said, Hey, uh, we've, we've seen and we've heard Paul say Jesus, and so we'll just use that as a formula. They knew the right verbiage, but they lacked the power. They were trusting in a system, not the source. Can I tell you that that is the state of the modern church today? We know the verbiage. We know the system. We know the formula, but we're lacking power. Why? We believe in self. We're trying to do it in our own strength, and we're trying, and we're trying, but we're not trusting in the almighty God of the universe. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Then he answered and spoke unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Hey, hey, we ought to stop relying on self and stop relying on flesh and say, Hey, in my flesh I am weak. I can do no good thing, but his spirit lives within me, and his spirit can empower me and enable me and equip me to do what I would otherwise be unable to do. Hey, it's time for the church to rise up and say, Hey, it's not about a system. It's not about a formula. It's all about the power of Jesus Christ and the name of Jesus Christ. And without him, we are nothing. The disciples thought, man, we can do this. We've done it before. Faith cannot be reduced to a formula. It's all about the person of Jesus. He says, this kind can only be done through prayer and fasting. You have to totally depend on me and believe in me. See, religion is all about trying. But authentic Christianity is all about trusting. I want to read one more verse today, but as I do, would you join me in standing?
So often in life, we are so busy just going through the motions, trying to hold it all together. We're trying to do it in our own strength, in our own flesh. But if there's anything that we can learn from the disciples and through this narrative today, it's that we must rely and depend completely on the Lord. I want to read this last verse today. And maybe today you're here and you don't know for sure about your relationship with God and kind of where you stand. And maybe you have been trying. And maybe you've been to church and you've gone through religious practices and you've done some good deeds and you've been trying to be the best person that you can possibly be. And I want you to see that saving faith is not about trying, it's about trusting. Romans chapter 10, verse number nine says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe. Everybody say believe. Leave it in the chat today, believe. Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. He doesn't say, hey, you have to do uh, all of these religious classes and you have to be a really good person. He says, believe in your heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And today, if you're in the room, you're watching online, and you don't know that you have a real relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you. It's not about trying, it's about trusting. Has there been a time in your life when you put your complete confidence and complete faith in Jesus Christ alone? Not in self, not in the church, not in religion, but in Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.